if you're looking for some gear that states that you will not comply, look no further. Sonsanddaughtersofliberty.world has what you're looking for. Use promo code PODCAST for 17.76% off. Get our iconic flag, hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Hit up the website, www.sonsanddaughtersofliberty.world, and see what you could get, and grab it right now with that discount, with that promo code, PODCAST. Now let's start the show. Now on Staten Island, things started boiling over last night. Hold the law! Hold the law! A standoff anti-vaccine mandate protesters against sanitation department trucks. Showing this large group against the city's vaccine mandate, blocking garbage trucks from entering the hub. And if that wasn't working, lone protesters making sure they got the job done. You know what they did? They got me to be here instead of work, organizing every one of you! The timeline has ended, and we're here to tell you that Matt's Public House is officially open and we will not close. In New York's 11th Congressional District, Nicole Malitakis has a primary challenger, and he's joining us. John Matlin, thanks for joining us. This is the Patriot Panel. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for this Monday's special, the Patriot Panel broadcast here on Sons and Daughters of Liberty Radio. My guest will be with us shortly, and that guest is none other than Dr. Robert Malone. He has recently published a book, Lies My Government Told Me, and The Better Future Coming with Children's Health Defense, forwarded by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself. Uh, I suggest everybody go grab that, pick that up. The more knowledge we have about what we've endured, the better. I'm going to welcome in our guest now, Dr. Robert Malone. So we're welcoming our guest here on Sons and Daughters of Liberty Radio for the Patriot Panel. We have Dr. Robert Malone. Almost impossible to give you the proper introduction, Doc, as you are you are one of the creators of the mRNA technology, and you are one of the doctors that stood up in the face of all of the tyranny that we've all been experiencing over the past couple of years. And it's it's really hard to give you an introduction. You are a, a living legend as far as I'm concerned. Welcome to the program. <laughs> uh, now I'm thoroughly embarrassed, uh, but thank you. All right. So let us start with some of the stuff that's been going on in the news, uh, specifically with the origins of COVID. You know, there was a lot of a lot of pushback right in the beginning uh, with mask wearing or no mask wearing with Dr. Fauci. Then it was safe to go out. Nancy Pelosi paraded around in San Francisco and Chinatown to prove that it's safe to go out. Um, and then at the end of all of this, now there's emails linking Fauci and others to conveniently covering up the actual origins of COVID-19. And is it, what's your take on it? And is anybody going to actually have any, any payment toward this? Is, is, is anyone going to be held responsible in the end, in your opinion? So that's a hot topic. Uh, everybody's talking about it in the U.S. and in Europe. Uh, I had a long chat with uh, Nigel Farage about that at CPAC. I guess it's just a couple of weekends ago. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. How do how do I approach this without sounding too grim? Uh, Ron Johnson's opinion in a Twitter Spaces that we held uh, a few weeks ago 
was you're, I'm talking about Senator Ron Johnson, who's been one of the leaders in in uh, trying to get the truth out. And uh, his take was that these bureaucrats, these administrative state employees, are so adroit at covering their tracks that it's going to be extremely hard for him or anyone else to hold them accountable. Uh, we've seen evidence of that already. Uh, we saw, um, for instance, in the sworn testimony that Tony Fauci gave uh, in the uh, state attorney general's lawsuit against Google and the United States government, uh, Tony Fauci claimed uh, memory failure over 160 times. Uh, so this is the guy that was in charge of our whole biodefense enterprise, and he can't remember uh, much of anything at least anything that's potentially incriminating. We have uh, um, multiple records and comments to the effect that, and I've I've heard personally from senior level people in uh, the government that have spoken off the record, uh, that what happened through many of these meetings is they were basically held under Chatham House rules. If there were any notes taken, they were shredded. Uh, people were told to not keep any records, not make any recordings, leave their cell phones, and uh, conduct all these, we could call them meetings or we could call them conspiracy, uh, you know, planning sessions, uh, whatever you want to call them. But uh, they were held uh, under a set of rules that make it impossible to hold people accountable. It's On the it's mask use, which you talked about, there's a, a new breaking story that I hope to write about later today. Uh, Zainab uh, Tufuki, her last name is spelled T-U-F-E-K-C-I, is the one that got the CDC to advise of mask use in 2020. And uh, there is a Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences paper out by her now that uh, talks specifically about the use of masking as a symbolism uh, um, basically for psyops in this current uh, context. She writes, ritual and solidarity are important in human societies and com combined with visible signals to shape new societal behaviors. Universal mask wearing could serve as a visible signal and reminder of the pandemic. So she's basically writing that the justification that uh, was used to force mask use on all of us, most notably our children in their schools, was not about public health, but it was about, you know, I don't know how else to say it. It was about, uh, you know, in her words, ritual and solidarity uh, as a visible signal. I would call it virtue signaling. Yeah, when you... when you look at it, Doc, and you see everybody for so long wearing all of these masks, it is when you visually see it, it it spikes the fear. If and you know when it first started and people first started wearing masks, we were like, oh, this will probably be a couple of weeks, and people quickly adjusted to it. And seeing it every day, just like seeing the death total on the 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 little ticker on the bottom of the news channels, it it definitely instilled a a group activity. It was group think, but now it was it was group act action, and that definitely definitely exacerbated the problems of this whole entire psychosis that we've gone through. 
Yeah. So so that's that's now getting documented. The um in the book, uh, lies my government told me we document the Yale University study that it was that it was a prospective randomized clinical trial of 600 persons in 10 groups over a six month follow up period designed to assess the effectiveness of different um, messaging strategies strategies to get people to uh, accept vaccine and convince others to accept vaccine. That was before there was ever a vaccine. So they ran a randomized clinical trial to fine tune their propaganda in uh, an American population through Yale. And they didn't disclose uh, who actually funded that study. I can tell you as a clinical trial specialist, a randomized 10 arm clinical trial with 600 persons in a six month follow-up is not a cheap date. We're talking about multiple millions yeah. uh, spent on that. All right, so let me shift this because there's an there's other people that have been talking about this. We've seen it since day one. A lot of people automatically dis you know just threw it away, said it was disproven hogwash. But vaccine shedding, uh, you know, long discussed, gaining more steam than ever, uh, at least on Twitter and all those other places. Can the vaccinated shed their spike protein? And if so, is it only for a during uh, a duration of a specific time period, post vaccination or post booster? So this is another one of the issues that should have been resolved before this is ever deployed. Uh, usually with any gene therapy-based strategy, uh, and this is part of why the FDA has so uh, vehemently denied that this is a gene therapy-based technology, is so that they can get away with not applying the gene therapy guidance and checklist. Uh, but normally uh, shedding studies are required and uh, in this case, the FDA did not require it of the pharmaceutical companies and the rule of thumb and pharma is, if the FDA doesn't force you to do it, don't do it because you might get an answer that you don't like and it could compromise your product, which is like the, the, worst, possi the worst possible thing in pharma is that you as an individual or somehow response as a pharma executive, you're somehow uh, fingered as being responsible for tanking a product it's it's far worse to tank a product than it is to breach medical ethics or uh, get a, a warning letter from the FDA. Um, this is this is the third rail. You don't ever want to do that. And so nobody ever does studies that they're not forced to do because it would be professional suicide. So as a consequence, we don't have the answer to that question. All I can comment on, because I refuse to speculate, are the data that do exist that are relevant. So I'm gonna reach into my knowledge of pathology, having taught it for about a decade and a half at various medical schools and been trained in it. A breast is a modified sweat gland, okay? That's just the anatomy of the breast. Uh, it has now been demonstrated conclusively that spike protein can be shed in the breast milk. And there is actually a guidance out that uh, mothers, nursing mothers should not nurse for a couple of weeks after they take the vaccine, okay? Because they can confer spike protein to baby, okay? So, uh, and spike protein is a toxin. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's something the FDA won't acknowledge and yet it's implicit in the CDC guidance on this. Uh, so baby shouldn't get breast milk that has spike protein in it 
but uh, right now the FDA protein in the blood, just to put a pin on that one. Uh, so if it's shed in the breast milk, then it's reasonable that it might be shed in sweat glands, uh, just anatomically speaking. Um, there's also a paper out that shows uh, that there are uh, uh, circulating in the blood vesicles uh, that are shed from dying cells or otherwise undergoing apoptosis, these microsomes that uh, contain spike protein and may also contain mRNA. Uh, the synthetic, I don't really like to call it mRNA, it's a pseudo mRNA that has unusual characteristics that's being used. This isn't really mRNA in the way that I envisioned it uh, originally. Very so there, it, these exosomes circulate in the blood for long periods of time. And we also know in parallel that exosomes are shed in the breath from the lungs. So it is formal, all these things are formally possible as is potential secretion in, uh, let's gently call it um, bodily fluids. Uh, um, and so the problem here is that the studies haven't been done, they're not being funded, they weren't required. Uh, and so everybody is left in uh, speculation mode because we don't have the data. And that, in my opinion, is the real problem here is comes back to the FDA not doing its job because the FDA is largely compromised by a variety of conflicts of interest having to do with the pharmaceutical industry. Over yeah, well, when the when the pharmaceutical companies pay so much of the FDA's salary and, and the income that comes in, it, it is definitely a conflict of interest, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the biggest thing here is if it is indeed shedding or and as we know, it's coming out in breast milk is one to think that this would be uh, without nanolipid particles that I mean, that has been something that a lot of concern has been based around uh, specifically, say, for Moderna. There is uh, SM102. It's a synthetic amino acid uh, that uh, is a part of that nanolipid. And stop me if I'm wrong on any of this, but that's in the Moderna vaccine, and it's been I think, long. I think you may have it wrong. It's not a amino acid; it's a lipid. Okay, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so, so with that being a part of Moderna uh, and the nanolipid makeup, there there was always questions: was it was it a carcinogen? Uh, and then things like uh, Public Health Communications Collaborative.org wrote an article on their site on May 26, 2021, that has the following at the end of the statement. The SM-102 in the Moderna vaccine contains no chloroform and is simply a lipid, a fatty molecule that does not dissolve in water that shields the vaccine as it delivers instructions to the cell. And they went on to recommend ignoring uh, any type of conversation about it because it says directly addressing misinformation could distract from priority talking points. And it was fact-checked by the uh, Nebraska Medicine factcheck.org and AFP. So is there anything relating to SM-102 that you've come across that is uh, eyebrow-raising, to say the least? So once again, the what happened was uh, with any new product or formulation, the uh, safety and uh, contribution of each component to the overall pharmaceutical effect must be apprised. This is standard uh, regulatory guidance 
particularly for non-clinical studies, so animal studies before it ever gets to the clinic, uh, and toxicology. And this was not done. So uh, we don't know anything about this compound or the analogous compound that's used in the BioNTech product. And this is only one of the compounds in the formulation. So this is a uh, custom synthetic compound, chemical, organic compound, that uh, is membrane active. It does disrupt membranes. Uh, it, it does uh, condense the nucleic acid. That's part of what the amine does, the positive charge at one end, is it binds to the uh, polynucleotide and uh, participates in causing it to collapse into a smaller particle, a self-assembling particle. It's also formulated together with cholesterol and uh, polyethylene glycol, uh, which has a sort, short carbon side chain and acyl side chain, uh, which is there to keep these particles from aggregating in the tube before they're injected into you. Uh, and uh, there are other uh, naturally occurring bats, uh, lipids that are included that are known to be membrane active, like uh, diallylyl phosphatidylethanolamine. And so what, what I'm saying is that these are uh, synthetic compounds uh, in the same sense that trans fats are synthetic. Uh, trans fats are not naturally found. They're a product of a uh, synthetic a chemical reaction that's performed on various natural fats um, and uh, to make them uh, more liquid. And uh, these are not, we don't have the enzymes to degrade these things. So once they insert into our membranes, they stick there for a long period of time. We don't know what the effects are. Uh, and so the, the now that I've done all that jabber, uh, the short answer is we don't know what these agents will do because once again, the studies were not performed, yet they are typically required to be performed. And in the rush to get this thing out the door, um, all of these norms in uh, regulatory characterization and toxicology and pharmacology were bypassed. And the assertion was at the time, as you'll recall, that nothing that mattered by Pat was bypassed, but we're now living with the consequences of that logic. And this is logic that was promoted by people that were not regulatory experts, were not pharmacologists, were not toxicologists, were not vaccinologists. These were things that were promoted by politicians. And another thing that's come out recently is uh, the documentation that um, it was known at the time uh, under the Biden administration that uh, they were bypassing normal processes in authorizing licensure for these products when they were EUA. Um, and they did it so that they could justify the mandates. And this is part of why Marion Gruber resigned from the FDA, one of the senior reviewers, um, is, is she objected to this Biden administration strategy of bypassing the normal processes and granting licensure within a few months for a data package that should have taken a year or more to evaluate. It's it's crazy what we've all endured over the over the past years and the way that that they they went through this. They wanted to keep everything hidden for for so long. 
about about you know the the FDA trial. They didn't want to release it. They wanted to take decades to do it. it. And you don't do that if you ask me when you're trying not to cover something up. But again, we're talking about when politicians were in the process of this. You talk about getting rid of things that that can lead back to the actual answer as to why this actually went down the way it did. Um, there's been reports that I've read recently over the past few months that are showing that negative efficacy is showing up during the waning stage. Uh, and that this is, is this a sign of antibody dependent enhancement? Something that I was really worried about going into this when they were rolling it out. I brought that up many times. Uh, is this a sign of possible antibody dependent enhancement that people are going to require boosters closer and closer? Uh, no, you can't draw a straight line from A to B on that. Um, there's a lot of jabber about antibody dependent enhancement, and some have even made accusations, wild accusations, that I'm guilty of not adequately warning the public about ADE, when in fact, uh, one of my first podcasts in February of 21 was about the vaccines and antibody dependent enhancement. And I spoke about it extensively for quite a while until the data came in that demonstrated that the criteria for antibody-dependent enhancement were not being met by this virus in that it does not seem to readily replicate in the white blood cells that are typically associated with antibody-dependent enhancement, the ones that have, I'm going to get technical, FC receptors on them. Uh, and so uh, what appears to be happening at a minimum, there, there is immune damage and by the way, uh, in terms of updating your uh, database and information, the Cleveland Clinic study unequivocally demonstrates, and this is in healthcare workers at the Cleveland Clinic, it's a very, very large study, and it unequivocally demonstrates the more inoculations you receive, the more likely you are to be hospitalized with COVID. Okay, And this, this mirrors data from all over the world that uh, indicates the same thing and in many cases also demonstrates that the more inoculations you receive, the more likely you are to die of COVID currently in the context of Omicron. Whatever happened before in Wuhan 1 through Delta is kind of historic now and, and those, those data are so contaminated, we're never gonna get to the bottom of what happened then, but we can talk about the present. And in the present, it's very clear with Omicron that you're more likely to be hospitalized or die the more uh, inoculations you take. And uh, the uh, there may be some antibody-dependent enhancement-like or otherwise uh, um, viral, uh, I'm sorry, vaccine-enhanced viral disease pathways going on. There appears to be evidence that the inoculations are directly damaging overall immune response and, for instance, in T cells. And that's what gives rise to the uh, reactivation of these latent DNA viruses like uh, cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr virus, and shingles, uh, and is uh, the basis for a lot of the fear uh, and, uh, you know, currently anecdotal observations of uh, odd cancer behavior, uh, very aggressive cancers recurring um, after they were believed to be controlled, et cetera, post-jab. Uh, that's all hypothesized to be T-cell damage and immune response. But the one that uh, is really well documented is something called immune imprinting or original antigenic sin. 
And that's a problem also with influenza vaccines that's long been known, but it's another one of these things that is kind of a forbidden topic in vaccinology, and yet it's well-documented in the literature. What happens is that your immune system is driven to respond to the version of the antigen that it sees first. And so uh, we are reinforcing that with these inoculations that continue to produce in your body the Wuhan 1 version of spike. And so what you're doing is with this, which I've strongly objected to both this practice as well as the booster design, because it's gonna exacerbate this problem of immune imprinting. What's happening is, is with these inoculations, you're driving people's immune system to only focus on one of the proteins from a virus that's now extinct in the population. Wuhan 1 is not circulating. Um, and the virus has escaped the evolutionary pressure of, of vaccines against Wuhan 1. So there, the virus is now very resistant to antibody, monoclonal antibodies directed against the earlier variants. Um, and it's very resistant to vaccines directed at the early variants. But it's like, a I use the metaphor, if you give a three-year-old a hammer, everything becomes a nail. They keep trying to bang with this Wuhan 1 strain that's extinct, and it's driving everybody's immune responses that's taking these products towards a uh, immune response that's focused on a protein that doesn't even exist in nature. So uh, that, that seems to be more of the problem than antibody-dependent enhancement. But a lot of people have seized on ADE as a, a thing, um, and there's a whole internet buzz around it from people that don't understand immunology or vaccinology. Uh, it's really quite nuanced, as hopefully you picked up from what I just said. Yeah. And, and the data suggests that ADE is not the big problem, even if it is occurring in some form uh, to a minor extent. Which is very interesting. Uh, when we go to talk about what they did at MIT, I believe it was it, it was made public in October that they took the original Wuhan uh, strain and they swapped off the spikes that came with it originally. So with the ones that are found in the vaccine jabs, and they added the Omicron spikes. Uh, and they, I think you're talking about Boston University, not sorry, MIT. sorry, Boston. So yeah, that was that was um, they call it Omicron S. Yeah, so that's those data have been misinterpreted by the press. Everybody got pretty spun up over that uh, um, because of the uh, mortality in the mouse models that were used. But the mortality from the uh, viruses, and this is a functional, this is essentially gain of function research. And by the way, it's it's very analogous to what Pfizer's doing. So Pfizer, we know now because of that uh, Project Veritas. Uh, as well as a prior Stat News article. So people miss the fact that basically Project Veritas validated stuff that everybody had ignored that Stat News had reported on, Stat News from Boston, mm -hmm. about what was going on in Pearl River and in Texas with Pfizer, um, uh, really gain-of-function research there. So Boston University absolutely did do gain-of-function research. They got caught with their hands in the cookie jar uh, first, they denied that it was gain of function. Then they said, well, we could do it because it wasn't NIH funded. But then there was documentation that it was NIH funded. Um, so they just were lying. And uh, um, and everybody got their tail in a twist because there was significant mortality in the mouse models. 
And what the press didn't bother to track down was that the mortality for the original Wuhan strain was higher. So they'd actually created a virus that was less lethal in mice uh, through swapping out the Omicron spike. And that was what was really, the, the two key findings there was that um, essentially the Wuhan 1 spike was more toxic than the current Omicron spike. And furthermore, that there are other contributors to the uh, morbidity and mortality in a mouse model of this virus other than just spike. In other words, there's other proteins there that are causing problems too. And so when you swap the two out, you got less but still significant toxicity. Uh, and um, that was all missed by the press. You know, it's one of the problems with having uh, reporters that aren't educated in science uh, trying to interpret this stuff and, and fact checkers that uh, spin it up and they don't have any clue what they're talking about. But they're, as Facebook acknowledged in their lawsuit, these fact checkers aren't fact checkers. They're narrative reinforcers. That's what their job is. Yeah, I've actually, I had a hearing uh, with an Instagram, it was a third party that did the fact checking. And doc, they, they tried, they gave me a strike against my account on Instagram. And we had a phone court hearing about that whole Omicron S issue. And at the end, they had to overturn their strike. And they even had the guy who gave me the strike report to me like they were, we were having a back and forth conversation. And he said, I have absolutely no idea why I gave you a strike. You reported everything the correct way on it uh, at that point. So it was very interesting. They, they are there to they are there to control the narrative. And we know that more than ever with what's going on with Elon Musk right now and, and the Twitter yep. files. Yeah. And and the attorney general's state attorney general's lawsuit against Google and the United States government. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so it's all coming out uh, in drips and drabs. And uh, one of the things we didn't talk about in your cold open there uh, was uh, uh, Bob Redfield throwing Tony Fauci under the bus in the congressional hearings the other day, where he said directly that uh, the Wuhan lab was funded by NIH, USAID, State Department and DOD. And uh, that's another hot topic that's coming out uh, just today. It's looking like that funding was north of $10 million. Uh, and uh, for the uninitiated, USAID is largely a surrogate for the CIA. Um, and and that, that appears to be the real story here is that uh, the CIA's, uh, a lot of the CIA's contacts in China got outed. And uh, when the CCP found out about them, uh, they all got shot. I mean, they don't mess around there. They don't, they don't have lengthy hearings. They just shoot. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, um, uh, so the CIA ended up with very little intel about what's going on in China, particularly as it relates to biowarfare and bioengineering. And it appears that what happened was there was some sort of a quid pro quo struck where we transferred technology into the Wuhan Institute of Virology and funding in exchange for a limited capability to look around and see what uh, China was up to. And that, that I believe, it, when the dust settles, is likely to be the, the backstory that comes out of this. Yeah. And, and there was something that President Trump had said at CPAC during his speech where he said that they're making viruses engineered to target specific people and ethnicities. 
and it makes me question things as you know there's so many people that gave their dna up to these these different companies that tell you where your lineage is from is there anything that 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 you have that you can add to that is is that so all... that is that is in fact the case uh and i can't say for sure that we're not doing it too uh and that we weren't doing it in ukraine in the biolabs for instance uh there this is this is a really hot topic functionally uh the whether or not it was intentional or not functionally this particular virus, uh, SARS-CoV-2, does appear to have a more severe disease in certain ethnic groups and less severe, particularly in certain Asian subgroups. Uh, whether that was intentional or not, it certainly was a wake-up call, much like Trudeau's blocking the trucker accounts where uh, something that had been, you know, in the back rooms uh, of, of the biodefense industry and the DOD uh, um, as something that was discussed uh, um, under the veil of, of secrecy uh, is now been brought out into the open. And uh, it is absolutely uh, technically feasible to engineer pathogens so that they have a relative uh, bias in their toxicity based on certain genetic factors. So absolutely the uh, willingness to uh, participate in some of these services that then resell your information to third parties. You know, once, as they say, information yearns to be free. Uh, just to illustrate, all of us that had uh, security clearance, including myself, a few years ago, had our entire dossiers grabbed by the Chinese. Uh, so they have every, they know, you know, what I did in my childhood. They know where I went to high school. Uh, they know who my contacts and friends are. Um, uh, they, you know, when you go through security clearance, you have to disclose everything about your past. Yeah, and so that all those dossiers are are in China now for most people that have had security clearance in the U.S. government, just to illustrate the point. Uh, and that's now integrated with all kinds of biometric information and uh, increasingly genetic information. If you've made those kinds of donations to uh, the commercial entities, it's, it's and uh, there's a lot of worry about this with American soldiers. Also, the use of tools like TikTok, et cetera, um, have uh, significant implications. I mean, just to be blunt, uh, and sometimes I say this and it shocks people, uh, we're in an information of unrestricted information warfare. We're, we're in that environment, so a battlefield of unrestricted information warfare, otherwise known as fifth generation warfare in which the battlefield is no longer over territory, it's over your mind. And it's about controlling every single thing that you think, know, encounter, believe, feel. Your emotions are actively being manipulated and Twitter is absolutely a weapon as well as a battlefield, as are virtually all of these social media tools. If you're engaging in social media use and you're not paying for it, in a significant way, um, you're paying for it through your data. 
and through the ability of the tool to manipulate your mental space. That's what's going on. They used and to they used to be, say don't be that. shy about it. They used Pardon? to say love is a battlefield, but it's it's your mind. Your mind is a battlefield in 2023, for sure. Before I ask you one. Uh, we got to cite Pat Benatar if you're going to say that. <laughs> so she so, needs to update the song. That's that's true. So uh, in 2013, a ruling by the Supreme Court in the case uh, of Association for Molecular Pathology versus Myrid Genetics Incorporated invalidated 4,300 previously issued patents on human genes. The ruling did, however, come with a caveat that manipulated DNA, considered synthetic DNA produced via mRNA, also known as complementary DNA or cDNA, can be issued a patent. How does this apply to folks that have had mRNA shots and now exhibit this cDNA? Can companies own the genetic makeup if their product is built in as cDNA? Um, so that thesis is is predicated on a couple of things. And I think right now that would be pretty fringe in terms of uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office arguing that. I'm not aware of any cases where any such legal theory has been promoted in the U.S. PTO. Okay. Uh, the, the underlying assumption in that statement is that the uh, mRNA is reasonably efficient um, to a clinically significant extent in modifying genome. And that, that really has not been demonstrated. There are a couple of papers out using cultured cell lines that are immortalized, they're cancer cells, that behave very differently from normal somatic cells um, that have been passaged for decades typically uh, in cell culture and um, can show uh, if you look hard enough, some evidence of integration or reverse transcription. Uh, this is another example of, of something, the, the risk of integration, which is what you're talking about, or uh, germline modification, for instance, or, or uh, DNA chromosomal modification, is something that is uh, required to be assessed in all gene therapy products. And it's another example of the FDA shirking its responsibilities through a technicality by insisting that these are just vaccines, they're not gene therapy products, when in fact they're both. Uh, so normally we would have the numbers on the frequency with which this might occur. And there has been tons and tons of research on this using DNA vaccines. And uh, the incidence of integration or recombination is exceedingly low and not considered clinically significant. The incidence with mRNA technically should be even lower. One of the things about the uh, RNA strategy, and I shouldn't really call it mRNA, I call it pseudo-mRNA, because these aren't really natural RNAs. They have all the pseudo-uridine packed into them and they behave differently. But um, one of the things about the RNA strategy as opposed to DNA strategy is that it only has to cross one cell membrane. If you think of a cell as analogous to a fried egg and the yellow part is the nucleus and the white part is the cytoplasm and the little crunchy bits around the edge are the cell membrane, in a two-dimensional model, um, uh, then RNA just has to get through the little crunchy bits into the white part. It doesn't have to get all the way into the yellow part, but DNA does. And there are multiple barriers to getting nucleic acids into your nucleus. You can imagine 
that uh, evolutionarily, it's not a good thing for your cells to just say, uh, laissez-faire, hey, come and get me, you know, I'll take any DNA you want. Uh, we would all be, uh, you know, mutants uh, in so many different ways. So there's a lot of, of cellular barriers to transport of nucleic acids into that protected compartment where our genome resides, uh, kind of like our, our blood-brain barrier, the nuclear envelope and and nuclear pores are selective. And uh, so um, RNA appears to be more effective than DNA for vaccine purposes in part because it's only got to get across one membrane. And that means that it's less likely to manipulate, to interact with your genome. But that doesn't mean for sure that it doesn't. Once again, the failure here is of the FDA to do its bloody job and test for these things. And in the absence of those tests, then we're left with people speculating about could it be this and could it be that? And any, you know, there's two responses that basically come down over that. One is the the kind of the party line, uh, great narrative response. Oh no, that could not possibly happen. Well, that I can tell you is bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is you end up with people like me that are trying to have integrity and they say, well, we don't really know because the tests weren't done. And then that leaves everybody still speculating and everybody frustrated saying, oh, Robert, you must be controlled opposition because you're not as radicalized as we are. Yeah, right? we've we've all we've all heard the controlled opposition thing. It's 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 so ridiculous. You know, at this point in the game, we have people like you that that have knowledge that that that's so vast. And then you have people like me. I do do a lot of speculation, but that's part of critical thinking for me. If I don't and I don't ask certain questions, I won't ever know because asking questions is good. That's what we should be doing. Yes. And and so, yeah, with 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 that, before we before we call it quits, we're watching what's going on with the banking system. And I saw you tweet about that a, a little bit yesterday. And, you know, there was uh, Representative Massey came out and said he was on a call and a Democrat senator stated, are we going to have something to basically control the narrative about the banking collapse that's ongoing right yeah, now for social a, media? It's a deja vu, right? Um, how many times do we have to see this? And as you're pointing out, the the assertion was that um, it, it's for the it's for the protection of the populace that we have to have censorship. And the metaphor that was used was um, you don't yell fire in an auditorium. And uh, the congressperson came back with the comment. Well, if the auditorium is on fire or the theater is on fire, then you damn well better. He didn't say that. You sh you should yell fire, right? If the if the auditorium is on fire, you should yell fire. Yeah. And that's the case with our banking system right now. So the the analogy that you shouldn't yell fire in a crowded auditorium only holds true if there's not actually a fire. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of smoke, Doc. That's all I could tell you. I, I wake up and I I was going through some of the uh, the the tickers and I saw that you know right before trading open banks were were having halts put on on their trading, and I saw First Republic was down at one point to like seventeen bucks, eighteen bucks, and that was a drop in sixty two percent, I believe, of of their worth. Uh, I, another another tell is gold is popping. Yes, the other tale. And and then people are saying that that, you know, cryptos are supposed to be getting dropped down now. And all of a sudden crypto went on a little bit of a run. Bitcoin put on a few thousand. And I'm like, this is just 
this is the wild wild west that's all i can say yeah it's it's uh it's what many have anticipated and this is just the first shock um what's going to happen when social security fund runs dry uh what happens i mean the 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 thing to watch right now as far as i'm concerned uh and i'm not giving financial advice i'm not a financial advisor but uh and just like that, the audio cut out. Uh, Wait, I, do, I got you invest, back now. I, we, I, we, do in, we do invest in, in, um, in metals, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. But um, the, the BRICS situation uh, is really heating up. And if the United States dollar is uh, no longer going to become the world currency for petroleum trading, which is in play right now. Uh, and we have agreements now, shockingly, uh, between the Saudis and Iran, uh, another major oil producer uh, that relates to this BRICS currency structure that's being created. Uh, if, if the US dollar is no longer the a main currency for petroleum purchase and exchange, then we end up with a whole lot of surplus dollars on the international uh, exchange. And a whole lot of surplus dollars with no place to go, the, the financial experts tell me that translates to hyperinflation. And that's the thing that I think we all gotta keep our eyes on right now, is if we have, end up in a hyperinflationary setting, that that will be extremely destabilizing. There's uh, the crypto guys make the case that um, at least some of them that the strongest predictor of major social unrest is hyperinflation. Yep. Yeah, and when you look at the fact that the bank uh, in New York that went down they had crypto assets tied to it and they said at this point crypto still needs that tie to the to the physical currency to the banking system so that's why people said that this whole thing was going to attack crypto and then they went on their own run so i mean it's very hard to navigate this and like you're saying when we're trying to and we're trying to have that conversation in in the town square if you will they want to control what we're saying and they and they have i mean twitter was a very how long were you kicked off about a year, but uh, in this current case, uh, it's fascinating to just light up Google and look at Google stories uh, in their in their um, storyline uh, press line, and you'll find that the uh, SVB story is pretty well buried right now. Um, so, you know, you're going to get more about Harry and Megan than you are about Silicon Valley Bank. That's that's every day, every day. They they bombard us with, you know, me and my wife refer to everything that's put on TV as the distraction. Everything's a distraction. And even when you're trying to watch something informative online, you'll get hit with an ad and it'll be on one hour. And it's not, I'm not even joking. It's an hour ad about cool ways you can cook food and it gets you, you get sucked in. And I'm like, I didn't know you could make food in this this type of way so the 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 battle for mines is very yeah. much underway it, it's really it's really useful for your listeners to learn about fifth generation warfare uh, michael flynn has a book out 
that you can get. And there's a great uh, um, uh, Amazon Kindle uh, about, they call it 5GW. It doesn't have anything to do with cell towers, fifth generation warfare. And uh, if you learn what it is and, and how it's deployed in the modern space, and you understand how social media is a weapon, uh, it's not a business, uh, um, then you can see through it and you become more immune to it and you can start to master that tech and deploy it. One of the things about fifth generation warfare is it's completely decentralized. There's no boundaries between combatants and civilians. There is absolutely no ethics, by the way. Uh, so anything goes in 5GW. Yeah. And every single thing you touch, smell, see, feel is the battleground. Yep. Well, I hope that we can continue to navigate it, Doc. I thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> it's been a pleasure and uh, keep telling truth. I absolutely will. And I will reach out. I want to send you one of my flags, Doc. I, I, I'm seeing that in the background. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, so I will, I'll, I'll send an, an email over to Jill and I will get, the, I'll get one of those out to you. Thank you so much for being on. Okay, be good. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Every day here on Sons and Daughters of Liberty Radio, we will have an update Monday through Friday, sometimes Patriot panels where we have expert guests, people that have done the damn thing out in the field, know a little bit more than the average person. Sometimes, of course, on Wednesdays usually, we record live in Staten Island, New York, in front of a full pub. So those are usually up by Thursday. And on the daily, we the people are the news. You will get that when I'm just breaking down the news, as is sometimes with the co-host, sometimes not. So make sure you do subscribe. Reach out, follow me on all social media platforms, on Twitter and Truth Social, all of them. On Twitter, it's WTPN, and then A-R-E, the news. So it's We the People, abbreviated R the News, A-R-E. That's the same for Getter. And on on Instagram and Truth, it is fully spelled out, no spaces. We the People are the news. Fighting shadow banning wherever it is. So thank you for joining us. Again, hit up sonsanddaughtersofliberty.world. Grab some gear. Use that promo code podcast to get 17.76% off, and we will see you tomorrow. Subscribe, follow, do anything that you can to help get the word out there about this podcast because this is how we stop cognitive dissonance in its track. This is how we bring truth back. The more we can amplify our voice against exactly that shadow banning and we are in a battle for minds, ladies and gentlemen, so we do not let emotions rule us. I do this debate on the daily, really. So on Twitter, I break this down and I hope more people join me. It's more about... Making cognitive dissonance reject reality, creating that symptom, that burn in the people's brains that are denying the truth. And then you wake up the minds of the people that are watching that haven't decided which route they want to go. This battle is going to be a long one, so make sure our voices are heard. Catch you on the flip side. See you tomorrow. This is the Patriot Panel.